Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times with your WWE Extreme Rules Instant Analysis. That's right, getting over is back once again and we are here just moments after the 2022 edition of WWE Extreme Rules is off the air, breaking down Every damn thing that happened on the third to last WWE premium live event of the year. Yeah, spoiler alert, Bailey. I liked it. I liked it a lot. We got a lot to discuss here about Extreme Rules on this podcast. Vintage Chris Vanini will be joining your boy, the Silver King, momentarily on the instant analysis. We get into this as quick as we possibly can. So allow me to remind you that this show is So you may be asking, Silver King, what does that mean? Stop being marks for yourselves and... It means go back to being marks for the Silver King for Vintage. Head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Drop those five-star ratings on Apple. Take a few moments. Leave a written review as well. Let everyone know how much you love the show, why you listen, and tell them why they should subscribe. We read the five-star reviews here live on the air. We did get a new one. We're going to save it for Tuesday's show. Also, please do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Not only do you get to participate and join our live shows on Twitter spaces before pay-per-views and premium live events, you get to participate in polls, send in DMs and tweets that we read on the show, whether it's questions, comments, whatever the case, and you get to interact with us all week long during all of the major wrestling programming. Again, follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. As is tradition here at Getting Over, when we have an instant analysis podcast, the Silver King, it's usually late at night, so he leans back and cracks open a cold one. And tonight we are going with Morning Glory from Swamphead Brewing, a coffee, vanilla type of beer. It's delicious. It's late. I don't have uh, a lot of energy to go try something new tonight. So that is what the Silver King is rocking with. Chris, welcome to the show. I know you're just drinking water. I actually kind of envy you because I have to live up to the gimmick here, and all I really want is water tonight. But nevertheless, welcome to the show. It is late. We have had a long long college football Saturday and we have plenty to talk about tonight from WWE Extreme Rules. Yes, uh, I I've just got water tonight. My stomach is still full of fried Oreos, fried cheesecake and various mm. uh edibles I got at the State edibles? Of Texas. Not edibles. It was mm. Okay, let's check. It, was, it just popped in my head. I would be tired. Uh, food if I food that uh was available at the State Fair of Texas cuz I covered Texas Oklahoma today. Uh, so it has been a long day for both of us. Nick Khan, if you're listening, please stop with the Saturday pay-per-view during stop. college football season. It is too much. It's different it than a Sunday because there's one NFL game you're going against. When Correct. It's college, there is so much going on. Yeah. It's hard to keep track. And admittedly, I was not 100% glued in on this show because of that. Sure. But I mean, you, you saw what happened and, and you, yes. you were tuned in enough, especially the final. I saw it. Let's call it yeah. three uh, moments, uh, segments, whatever happenings. At Extreme Rules, we have a ton to get to for this instant analysis podcast. Anyone joining us for the first time, basically what we do is we go ahead, we dive into the entire card, we break down the matches, we give you detailed results, match grades, analysis, and we look into what happens, what we believe is going to happen with these wrestlers and their storylines going forward in WWE. Now, Chris, before we get to the instant analysis itself, there is always a go-home smackdown between our ultimate preview and our instant analysis, and that often leaves 
a little bit of meat on the bone for us to cover on the show as we talk about the matches on this card that usually are SmackDown brand matches. So there will be numerous points in the show where we, you know, have a little bit of SmackDown invading our extreme rules, most notably in the good old fashioned Donnybrook match between the Brawling Brutes and Imperium. But before we get to the Extreme Rules Infinite Analysis as a whole, I want to discuss the final White Rabbit clues that we got on SmackDown because we discussed on our Ultimate Preview how it appeared obvious that the White Rabbit clues were going to lead to a return or a debut on Extreme Rules, given the most recent riddles that we got. So before we get into Extreme Rules itself, let's talk about those final clues that happened Friday night over the course of SmackDown. Triple H opened the show in the ring, and while he was speaking, he definitely turned the microphone to the side, revealing one last QR code. The teases here were blatant. There was banging on a door and let me in, repeating, while the three little pigs and the big bad wolf flashed on the screen. There was also a hidden shot of Huskus from Firefly Funhouse, and the URL was 10822, the date of extreme rules. Later on SmackDown, a video appeared on screen twice without a QR code or anything like that. It was a white rabbit hopping in the forest, coming across a purple X on the ground. He dug into it, you know, burrowed himself into the ground. All of a sudden, like a fire beam came out of the sky and roasted him. I, I wasn't exactly sure what that was about. And then it said, feed your head flashing on the screen in multiple different languages. This also, by the way, aired on the Extreme Rules kickoff show and during the entrances for the first match on the Extreme Rules card. To wrap this up quickly, WWE Chris did an outstanding job with this build. It started vague. It was riddled with non-specific clues that you really had to dig into and figure out. And then the teases started coming. And here we are talking about Friday, 24 hours before the show, they were more blatant and the clues basically ensured that the casual fans watching the go-home show picked up on the trail that everyone else was already following. I thought because of that, it was extremely well done. I mean, not just because of that, the entire thing was extremely well done, but it was very smart for WWE to start with the hardcore fans and the online audience and the people at the house shows and build it and, and continue it and start giving more clues, making it a little bit more obvious week to week. And then the night before the show, 24 hours out, just saying, hey, Bray Wyatt's coming back. Your asses better be watching Extreme Rules on Saturday. I thought they paced this perfectly. This ended up being what? Three or four weeks? Something like think three. To, I want to say three. Yeah, so, so it didn't feel too short and it didn't feel too long. I said yeah. on uh, I said earlier this week on the Ultimate Preview, like, all right, like it's it's been enough now. It was fun to go down a couple of, you know, paths, find out some of these crazy things, hear a lot of things that I missed. But after a few weeks, it's like, all right, like that's good now. Let's move forward. And then we move forward and then they make it clear on SmackDown. Hey, it's coming tomorrow. And you're like, all right, cool. I'm ready. I, I just I thought it was paced perfectly in, in, in a company that sometimes drags things out way too long. Uh, I thought this was well done. It is a new day, Chris. Yes, it is in WWE. And this is a really strong example of that. I will say I'm also kind of enthused that it's all over because uh, having to like jump on all those clues and try to figure them out every single week. And, you know, listen, I'm just being candid, right? We want to boost our engagement. We want people to listen to the show and follow us on Twitter. And by getting those clues out there and explaining them to an audience, they got retweeted, they got liked, they got shared, uh, and people started following us. And it was great. But it was exhausting to, like, pause the show, 
you know, figure out a way to, to tape the clue, post it on Twitter, give all the breakdowns. So I was also a little bit relieved in addition to being really excited. I was relieved that it was all finally, or at least we hope, or I think going to come to an end at Extreme Rules on Saturday night. So Chris, with that out of the way, let us dive into the WWE Extreme Rules instant analysis. Again, we are going to break down every single match on the card, the results, uh, our reactions to it, grades, analysis, everything you could possibly ask for. I'll also note one more thing before we get started. I usually do the instant analysis based on just the order of matches that I think are most important. Tonight is the first time ever in the history of the show. We're actually going to break this down in reverse order. Like we're going to go from the main event all the way down to the opening match. It's not what we normally do, but it's just kind of how it played out this week. Uh, Before we get into the individual matches, let me say two things. First, the opening video package with Paul Heyman hosting like a spelling bee for the word extreme with one kid trying to spell it. It was exceptional. One of the best cold open, whatever you want to call it, video packages I can remember WWE doing in quite some time. I also, Chris, loved the immense amount of pyro we got to start the show. It felt like this is a major deal. And I loved how both title matches on the card had the lights turned out with spotlights on the challenger and the champion. Every part of this show made it feel bigger than the vast majority of B-level WWE pay-per-views, premium live events that we normally get from the company or that we used to get from the company under Vince McMahon. Uh, I have to admit, I didn't see it. Uh, I just okay. I was watching football swooped over it and I missed the beginning. I saw a lot of people really liked it. I think Heyman actually tweeted it a few days ago or something like that. He did. I actually missed yeah. it as well, but uh, that's good. That's It's good to hear. Pyro, unique intro, make shows feel special. We're never going back to the day when, when pay-per-views had their own individual sets. So do what you can to make it stand out. Yeah. Already disappointing me with this uh, instant analysis, Chris, but I'm sure we will get you back. <laughs> Starting with this main event. And by the way, we did, of course, do pre-show expectation grades. We will discuss those at the end. Once we break down all the matches, give you analysis, our grades, all that, we will discuss what our pre-show grades were and our post-show final grades for Extreme Rules. So you want to make sure you stay tuned for that. Okay, let us finally start with the main event, a surprising main event for yours truly, Matt Riddle against Seth Rollins in the fight pit with a special guest referee, Daniel Cormier, a two-division UFC champion, UFC Hall of Famer, one of the greatest of all time. The stipulation here, not in addition to the fight pit, is you could only win via knockout or submission. No pinfalls, no DQs, no countouts, nothing like that. There was a great hype video for this match and the fight pit as a whole, uh, narrated by Ariel Helwani. Rollins entered with RVD, Rob Van Dam inspired gear, which I thought was a really nice touch, not only because they were in Philadelphia, but when you consider like the stoner aesthetic of Riddle, it just kind of all fits together. The fight pit was more stylized than it was in NXT. There were graphics on the platform ledge, but it was extremely similar. There were no ring ropes or anything like that. Riddle hit a jumping kick off the cage to start. Cormier shoved Riddle off Rollins when he relentlessly beat on him early. That gave Rollins an opening. Rollins then tried to like bond with Cormier and get him to help him, but Cormier denied him. Rollins shoved Cormier aside and then he got warned not to touch him. And they basically didn't mess with him after that. Forearms and lifted knees had Riddle down early. Rollins climbed to the top of the cage and leapt off the side with like a twisting RVD style frog splash. It was one of the best spots of the entire night, actually. Uh, Rollins kept calling Riddle a loser and the fans sang his theme with him. 
He failed on the necktie submission, which Riddle countered into an RKO. Then they countered each other a bunch of times with Rollins countering an RKO into a stomp. Cormier didn't count right away, which commentary correctly called out. Rollins missed an attempted twisting stomp off the cage, and then he climbed to the top platform. Riddle climbed up following him and caught Rollins with a rear naked choke around a chain. Rollins drove his head into the chain like a half dozen times and then buckle-bombed him into one of the corners. Riddle saved himself from being thrown off the platform as Rollins had a pedigree on it. DC couldn't count because neither of them were in the ring area. That pissed off Rollins. Riddle then avoided a stomp but hit an RKO on the platform with Rollins falling down off of it onto the canvas. With DC counting to seven, Riddle stood at the edge of the platform and flew off, hitting an insane broton that, who knows, man, it could have broken Rollins' ribs or crushed his lung. I mean, it was fucking insanity. You know, I try not to curse a lot on this show. It was fucking insanity. That's the only way to describe it. Rollins tried countering a triangle choke that Riddle put on immediately after that. He rammed Riddle into the cage. He powerbombed him, but Riddle refused to let go of the triangle choke. He finally grabbed the arm, stretched it out, started screaming at Rollins, and he cinched it in, forcing Rollins to very weakly tap out, with DC calling the match after 18 grueling minutes. Other than this being a little bit slow in parts, Chris, and there being a lack of clarification for the live crowd that the finish had to occur in the ring, you could tell they weren't totally sure why the match didn't end or why counts weren't happening. Besides that, this was tremendous. Riddle and Rollins did a great job playing the stipulation, and it was as brutal as any cage fight really should be, especially when you get rid of the ropes and you really try to make it hardcore. Cormier was nearly perfect in his role. There were a couple counts that like, yeah, I'd like to have seen him start earlier, but that's standard operating procedure with any wrestling referee. They always take like five seconds to start the count. You could also argue that the match finish was rushed a little bit, but that's generally how things happen in MMA. There isn't a build. Sometimes you just get knocked out or submitted. And because of that, I thought this worked extremely well. I went 4.5 stars and an A for the match. And then in terms of the booking, you know, it was surprising to see Rollins lose only because he has a United States Championship match this Monday on Raw, and he's already lost to Lashley. So is he going to lose to Lashley, Riddle, and Lashley in succession? Maybe he's actually going to win the match and he's going to take the title. But given WWE has dragged feuds ad nauseum over the last few years, especially with Rollins, it did seem like this was a definitive end with Riddle beating Rollins clean in his own environment. And hopefully everyone can move on from this. Rollins needs to start winning again soon. And I hope that whether it's against Lashley or not, it starts up by the end of this month. Yeah, you and I both got this wrong. I think we both picked uh, Rollins to win. Although, admittedly, almost every match on this card was very difficult to pick. Mm-hmm. The... I had not seen the NXT Fight Pit matches, so to me, the comparison for Fight Pit was the Ken Shamrock stuff back in SummerSlam 1998. Yeah, yeah, the Lions Den match, basically. And and so, if you want to know why Triple H is doing war games without a roof, it's the same reason the Fight Pit has its whole thing, because people are going to jump off the top and do crazy shit, and that's important. And so that's why it's set up the way it is. Whenever you try to mix another sport with wrestling it can come off very poor boxing mm-hmm. matches have done poorly um, sumo you know past M- past, M- yeah. past mma things have have not gone yeah. well I, f- I forgot who it was not too long ago this worked though mm-hmm. these guys found the right balance there were there were a couple moments here or there where it was like 
you're clearly doing like a pro wrestling thing instead of an MMA thing. But for the most part, it worked. It was it, it was fine. I love the concept of a cage match with no ropes. Like, mm-hmm. honestly, I would just replace cage matches with this. Like, I just I, I think it's it, not it, a bad it, idea. It pro- yeah, it, it properly makes things brutal and you can do more jumping off the top. <laughs> like it just it opens up more doors. So this was a really good match. The finish was kind of uh, not anticlimactic, but sudden. Like kind of sudden. Yeah, but you're right. But that's like that is how you know that is how it goes with MMA. So like it just, sometimes it's just kind of an adjustment when you're in one mind or another. But no, this was this was very good. Um, I think ultimately Riddle winning works. You know, we had said, hey, like Rollins is getting really really personal with with Riddle. I feel like the babyface needs to kind of win this actually, and he did. So he he, he got that, and and that and that works. So very good job all around. Yeah, it, it makes total sense for Riddle to win, regardless of what was predicted or, or you know what we expected. Riddle winning in his own environment after all the shit Rollins said. You have to remember, like most of what Riddle said is kind of surface level about Rollins. Your wife wears the pants in the family, and you know the stupid shit like you haven't won a title in a while. The stuff Rollins said about Riddle was personal. Like your kids hate you. Your wife left you. Like th- that is and, well, very and Riddle, different. Riddle, yeah, and Riddle went on Corey Graves' podcast. It said, my personal life is in shambles right now. Right. Which I hope, which goes back to bringing up those comments. And I'm sure he was okay with Rollins using them. But like, sure. I hope, I hope his family was like, I, it got very, very personal. <laughs> I don't think there. he gives a shit. <laughs> At least what his wife thinks, you know? Well, with the kids. I mean, with the kids. <laughs> the kids, obviously. Kids being mentioned. So, um, yeah, I don't, it was just, you know, Rill's been involved in a lot of stuff. But as far as this match goes, uh, good stuff. Yeah. Point point being, though, because it got so personal with him to have the babyface lose after all of that probably would have been pretty tough to stomach it. So I, I think ultimately they made the right decision. It made Riddle look good beating Rollins in this manner. The match was fantastic. Cormier did a good job. This really hit all the bells that it needed to hit in order to be an A match, which is ultimately what I gave it. I, I did think it delivered in basically every single way. Now, that was the main event, but it wasn't the end of the show because in typical Triple H fashion, old school Attitude Era, uh, old school NXT, what we used to get, the copyright ID flashed on screen to end Extreme Rules as Cormier was walking Riddle to the back with his hand raised. When all of a sudden the cameras remained on and the lights in the arena shut out, everything going black. Immediately, Michael Cole audibly asked Corey Graves as if he didn't know they were still on air. He's like, hey, uh, are are we still on air? Is this live right now? And fireflies lit up the entire arena. Suddenly, he's got the whole world in his hands, played ominously over the PA. And as that happened, more and more people took their cell phones out and lit up lights in the crowd. And the camera starts like panning around and slowly like, moving through the crowd, looking at it from a wide lens. All of a sudden, it zooms in on a spotlight as a real-life, full-size human huskus from Firefly Funhouse appeared in one of the bombs. It then came back out, zoomed in somewhere else, and Mercy the Buzzard appeared in another. Same thing, Ramblin' Rabbit in another. And then Abby the Witch, ringside, right behind the barricade. Suddenly, the burned, melted fiend mask 
from the Randy Orton match, Inferno Fire match, whatever that was called, appeared in the middle of the announce table. Cole saw it, ran away. Then the fiend in a black hoodie appeared behind the barricade. Or so we thought. So we move over to the stage and we look up at the big Titantron and we see a dilapidated, abandoned Firefly Funhouse. It appears on the screen. There's cobwebs everywhere. All the characters are dead. A TV then turns on with a guy in a white mask, very menacing. He says, heal the world. He said a bunch of things. It was really tough to hear what he said and ascertain what the point of like the verbiage was. Suddenly, we cut back to the arena and there's a door on the stage with smoke and light emanating from it. All of a sudden, the door cracks open. The light gets really bright and then it turns off. And a large man enters with a lantern and a really creepy white mask, the same one we saw on the TV, with fans chanting as loud as I have ever heard a chant. Holy shit. Holy shit. The mask finally gets removed to reveal Bray Wyatt himself to an absolutely insane pop. He blew out the lantern. He said something else that was really tough to hear. And then a new logo of his flashed on the screen that he's been using on Twitter, by the way, as Extreme Rules finally went dark. Chris, this was arguably the greatest and inarguably among the greatest returns in professional wrestling history, from the build to the moment to the execution of the moment. It was like six different reveals, one after the other. The production was spot on. Even on a couple of occasions where like the camera shots were delayed and they weren't getting there quick enough, they took their time to make sure they got them before they moved on. My one and only negative is I wish all of this happened while White Rabbit played instead of he's got the whole world in his hands. Screw the royalty fee. The same exact thing going down with the White Rabbit instrumental would have been otherworldly and it would have tied everything together. But aside from that, this was brilliant. And maybe best of all, it was exactly what we talked about on the Ultimate Preview in terms of at least what I wanted. It was not The Fiend. It was not cult leader Bray Wyatt. It was an amalgamation of both with a new twist on the entire thing. Perhaps even better, the return happened without sacrificing any wrestlers. It happened in a vacuum. It gave us just enough to deliver on all the promotion and all of the teases, but not so much where we don't need to tune into Raw on a Monday night to see what's going to happen next. You know what this was, Chris? This was such good shit. This is such good shit. That drop, by the way, from a Bray Wyatt, uh, <laughs> the Firefly Funhouse match. So with John Cena, t- correct? Yes, that ties together too. The, the thing he said before. Oh, you he think I did that ramp- by accident? I'm doing my own White Rabbit shit here. Of course, come on. Now. Oh, that's it's, it's a good, good job, good job. Yeah. The thing he said before blowing out the lantern. I'm 99 sure he said, "I'm here," which is okay. what he used he used to say. We're here before he blow out the lantern. Mm-hmm. This, to me, signaled like a fully going back to original Bray. Uh, and killing off all the Firefly Funhouse stuff, even going to the whole world in his hands, that's like original Bray type of stuff. So so that was the the, the signal to me. I was executed very well. You, you laid it all out. A couple of production things here and there that were minor, but overall, like, you got it. The crowd undeniably Apoplectic. went berserk. Yeah. 
from the very beginning and through the entire thing. There is no denying the appreciation, adoration that WWE fans have for Bray Wyatt. Even or even the idea of Bray Wyatt, and so mm-hmm. to get that, they 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 went nuts. Is this one of the greatest returns of all time? To me, no, because it's because there's not much else to it. But at the same time, that was as big of a pop as you could possibly get. So like, I can't, I can't deny that as well. So great to see him back. It's been what a year and a half or so. It, it, he's just kind of been wandering around for a while. He always, no, 19 months, it, it, I think. Yeah. It made no sense when, you know, when he got let go, we all said, where's he going to go? He's, he's a WWE guy. He is. And he's a superstar. Yes. So it is, it is, it is great to see him back. I'm excited to see what's next. Um, and I'm glad it's just Bray Wyatt because Bray Wyatt is plenty captivating. And I'm curious to see what happens. He is. The Fiend was a crutch that, as we discussed on the Ultimate Preview, we also talked about it on the pre-show. It made it way more difficult to appreciate him because you always had it in the back of your mind, well, this guy can't lose. And how is he not going to be champion? And so on and so forth. The the continuing issues that built up with it, we've talked about it ad nauseum. We're not going to do it here on an instant analysis. But why it just has, and you kind of were mentioning, this is what you were getting at. He has a magnetism that is just undeniable. Mm-hmm. And to consider that Vince McMahon, I guess, I mean, this is the going story. He couldn't get along with this guy and he thought why it was too difficult and too creative and too demanding to, to look like the gift horse that is Bray Wyatt in the mouth and say, get out of here, pal. It's just astounding to me. Not to mention the fact that somehow this guy remained a free agent for 19 months or, you know, 16 months, I guess, after his 90 days expired, he remained a free agent. AEW never signed him. Any of these other companies granted financially, they probably weren't in the position to do so, but it still didn't happen. And he was just sitting there waiting. And Triple H comes back into control, takes over creative. And probably one of the first calls he made was to Bray Wyatt. What can we do to get you back? How can we make it right? And this is what happened. It, to me, is just astounding. Now, one quick question before we move on to the rest of the matches on the card. Given that Wyatt's return did not factor into any of the matches, including this one, he didn't do anything with Riddle, Rollins, etc. Would you still have made Fight Pit the main event, seeing all of the matches as they transpired on the card, knowing that this didn't factor into any of them? What would what match would you have made the main event of the show? It worked because the babyface won and neither of us had picked that. I had originally picked Bianca Bailey to be the main event and Bailey to win. Mm -hmm. But I think in the end, I think you could have flipped it. You could have had Bianca win the ladder match and do the same thing. Essentially, it's a babyface going out on top at the end. Yeah. um, And and onward you go. But I I guess they wanted to kind of give the moment to Riddle. I assume this kind of ends the Rollins feud if you're going to main event the pay-per-view with it. Uh, So I I get it. It it worked. I I think it worked. But I also think you could have flipped a couple and it wouldn't have made much of a difference. Yeah. Uh, And to to that point, I was positive that Liv Morgan and Ronda Rousey was going to main event this show. Uh, Thank heavens it did not. Let me put it that way. We will talk about that momentarily. 
Uh, but I agree with you. I would have put Bianca Belair and Bailey in the spot and done the fight pit penultimate as the second to last match on the card. I quit, you know, third to last and then just done the rest as it was. Uh, I don't think that fight pit needed to be last. I know they had the star power with Cormier and Riddle's over and Rollins is their number two guy, you know, behind um, Roman Reigns. But I think a women's title match with your top, honestly, right now, your top woman star, given that Becky Lynch is not active and, um, you know, Sasha Banks is seemingly not with the company. We'll talk about that later as well. I think putting her in that moment and then not having it factor into the wide stuff, I, I would have preferred that. But, you know, six of one, half a dozen of the other. Chris, uh, anything else on this or the fight pit before we move on and break down the rest of Extreme Rules? One other thing I wrote down. Uh, I like that they showed Ron Breaker before the match, mm-hmm. just sitting ringside, got the belt, wearing a suit. Um it just, for some reason, it made the match feel bigger. Like, like when, whenever you have a big boxing match or an MMA match and you get to the main event and you show all the celebrities on the screen or something like that, like, it, it just, it adds to the feel. And for whatever reason, I don't know why, when I saw Braun Breaker the, there with the title in the suit, I was like, oh, this this feels a little bigger. And, I you know, they did that a lot in NXT, and I think it's something they should keep doing for main events of pay-per-views. I thought it was really smart to feature not just him, but Nikita Lyons was there earlier. Now, Nikita Lyons, I'm not a fan of, or at least not a major fan of. But the fact that they got one man, one woman from NXT and they were able to kind of showcase them, despite them obviously not being on the card, it does well to promote that brand and kind of like remind people, hey, there's NXT and look at some of these people that we got on there. Now, you know, it would be cool, obviously, if... um, People knew who they were a little bit more. Braun got a solid reaction. Nikita got no reaction. Not that she deserves one because people don't know who she is. So, you know, I found that to be an interesting decision. But to your point, it was really cool that especially Braun uh, was there right before that match. All right, let's move on. We got five more matches on the card to break down. Edge versus Finn Balor in an I quit match. Balor got an incredible remixed entrance with smoke and bright lights. It was a takeoff of his old theme. Judgment Day stylized as they've done with all the other uh, entrance themes for the people in the faction. He was also wearing a black mask that fully covered his head with spikes on it. Very similar to the one Kanye West wore a couple of years ago. The whole entrance with Balor was really captivating. Like it totally had my attention and it made the guy look like a main event star. No question about it. Uh, they both Wait, focused- real, real quick, real quick on uh, one thing on the entrance. When when the camera started far away and he started to stand up and I missed it at first, I thought, oh, man, oh, oh God, is Finn Balor just painted his face black? Is he in is he in blackface? Right oh, now? That God. would be very bad. And then I saw the spikes. I was like, oh, cool. And a lot of people thought of Kanye because it's very similar. I didn't. It's not the exact same, but it made me think of Hellraiser, which uh, yes. actually has a new movie that just came out or is coming out or something like that. So well, Hellraiser, correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, it's just spikes coming out of his regular face, right? Yes, it is. Yeah. So this is like a it's, literal mask, you know? So, yes, but no, it is. It's a, whether it's, whether you reference Hellraiser, whether you reference Kanye, uh, it was something like that, but it was unique. It, it was, it captured your eye and your attention and combined with the entrance, it just made for a really cool moment, which we don't really get a lot of special entrances anymore in WWE. And it felt like this was special. It really did. So they both guys, Edge and Balor, focused on joint manipulation, and they reversed a figure four leg lock back and forth early. Balor hit a sling blade at ringside. Edge lifted and drove him through the barricade. That led to them fighting into the crowd. They went to the kickoff show set where Edge beat Balor with a hockey stick and then jammed it in his mouth for a crossface. 
They fought into a bomb where Edge caught Balor running and slammed him headfirst into an exit sign. Balor dodged Edge as he tried to spear him. And instead, Edge speared his own body into like the metal railing, like the point of it. Uh, Then he beat him with a chair in the ring. Balor did, only for Edge to say, screw you, Finn, when the referee asked him if he wanted to quit. Edge refused to tap in a crossface, basically saying, go F yourself. Edge reversed Balor into a propped chair. Edge worked Balor's knees with the chair and then put on the educator. Balor seemed about to quit when Damian Priest and Dominic Mysterio ran down. Edge murdered Priest, and then he speared Balor off the apron through both men. You know, like the uh, Biggie Tope spear? Edge did that on Balor into two other guys. That was pretty crazy. Edge was then ready to spear Balor inside the ring when Rhea Ripley appeared behind him out of nowhere and handcuffed him to the top rope in the corner. There was a great camera shot then of the Judgment Day men appearing behind Edge three on one, completely outnumbering him. Balor beat the shit out of him with a kendo stick, refusing to let the referee ask the question. Finally, as the referee did ask the question, Ray ran down with a chair, hit a springboard crossbody on Balor, plus a 619 to the back of Priest's head. But Dom comes in, he blasts Ray off the ring apron with a forearm, ran him into the post outside, and beat his ass at ringside, his own dad. Balor got back to beating Edge with the kendo stick, until all of a sudden, Beth Phoenix ran in from the crowd, stole the kendo stick, beat Balor with it, and then snapped it in half over Damian Priest's back. Phoenix and Rhea Ripley then faced off with Beth yelling, this is your dream match, as fans chanted yes. Phoenix bounced off the ropes with a spear and then obtained the key from Ripley to unlock Edge from the handcuffs. Edge immediately speared Priest. He stood off with Dom, who pleaded, he offered a handshake. Edge shook it, then kicked Dom in the nuts for a low blow, shoved him out of the ring. Balor caught him blind with a sling blade, but Edge came back with not one, not two, but three spears. He told Beth to get a chair. He broke the bottom bar to put him in a crossface. And as he locked in the crossface with that bar from the steel chair, which has submitted other people, obviously, and was a signature of him during the run to the Roman Reigns championship match at WrestleMania, he, uh, as he locked it in, Ripley punched Phoenix in the back of the head with brass knuckles, knocking her out. Edge released the submission. Priest immediately runs in, hits him with South of Heaven. Balor hit three coups de gras. Balor then grabbed the mic and said it was Edge's last chance. Edge said, go to hell. So the guys held him back as Rhea lifted and dropped Beth's lifeless body. She set Beth up for a concerto as Balor mocked him with Edge saying, I quit just as Ripley was about to swing the chair. They then forced him to say it a second time. And after a brief delay, Ripley turns to Edge, screams that it's too late and says, you taught us too well before delivering Concerto to Beth anyway. They release Edge. He rushes to her aid. Beth's sell on the entire thing was unbelievable. She flopped like a dead fish. She started convulsing. Her arms started shaking. Rey Mysterio, referees, agents, they immediately run in and the screen fades to black after more than 30 minutes of this match. Chris, as a wise man once said, I believe I had that. Was this expected? You bet your ass. But it was also exceptional. Was it overbooked? Hell yeah, it was. Was it incredible? You bet your ass it was. This was prime Attitude Era booking. Brutal I quit stuff. Multiple swerves for the audience, multiple hype spots, expectation defying changes in booking. And then it ends up finishing with a somewhat predictable finish 
that still ended with an extra bit of gusto and a punch to the gut by Judgment Day actually delivering the concerto to Beth Phoenix. They are now 100% established as piece of shit scumbag heels. But not only that, they're smart and they get over on baby faces. Did you hear the heat coming out of that crowd? They were on fire and pissed off. We finally got Ray versus Dom. We finally got Rhea versus Beth. Judgment Day is fully repaired and Dom somehow actually matters and is doing really good character work. It's tough to grade this match because what I loved most was the non-wrestling aspects of the entire thing, the storytelling. So I'm going to say 4.25 stars and an A for the match. But for me personally, this whole thing from a storytelling and storyline and booking and creative standpoint was five stars. It was an A plus. It's as good as you can get. See, I wouldn't say it's overbooked because I think it all made sense. And in doing all of that extra stuff added to the whole thing, I thought it was booked tremendously. Like the more the more it went on and the more people got involved in it, it just it felt like it was raising the stakes every single time like somebody else was coming and getting involved. Uh, so so that was great. I got to start like early on, though. This was a reminder of why I hate I quit matches, and that is. They're yes. asking guys if they want to quit like a minute into the match. And it really just, it, it, it's, it's saps any momentum out of these matches as they get started. You like, you got to let it go for a while or, or, or just have the referee carry the mic and a wrestler grabs it and puts it in front. Of, I hate when the referee's doing it. He's just, we're just hearing edge breathing over and over again. It was very, very annoying. That was kind of distracting early on, but the match picked up when they got outside the ring. Did a bunch of stuff. There were so many big heat moments. Not only Rhea doing what she did to Beth, but Dominic attacking Ray again. The crowd went berserk over that. Michael Cole went berserk over that. He was incredible. He was incredible. We will talk. I I think you said we'll talk Tuesday about the new announcer situation. It didn't really apply to the show. Um, So there was just so much going on, and it all extended stories and everything made sense. And when Edge said, I quit, I was like, Rhea better hit her. Like, you're, you, this is the moment. This is the moment to get the heat. This it is, is, this yeah. is you got to be a heel. Like, I, I've been so, sometimes they don't do the heel thing. And she did it. And I was like, there yeah. you go. Like, not cheering it, but like, now I hate you. Like, But, that, but it wasn't just that she did it. I'm sorry, it. To interu- I'm sorry to interrupt you. It's not just that she did it. She looked at Edge and screamed, you were too late and you taught us too well. Yes. So it's his fault. He's the one that well, started Judgment Day. Right. He made them into this, and now they're basically killing his wife. And he started it, remember, with a concerto. And I made a comment a couple weeks mm-hmm. or months or so ago about how pro wrestling is overdoing concertos right now. But this is a good one. This is an impactful <laughs> one. Like, this yes. is how you do it and make it matter. And that's why it all made sense. So I, I absolutely loved everything about this. I don't know if it's setting up a Survivor Series match or a tag team match or what, but there's a lot of options now. There's a lot of heat in two different directions now for the Ray stuff and for the Beth stuff. This was great. Yeah, that's the question now. It's how do they follow this up? It's not going to be extreme. uh, I was going to say extreme rules. I'm sorry. It's not going to be war games because Triple H already said there's going to be a men's war games and a women's war games. And we have to assume the men's one is going to include the bloodline and the women's one will probably include damage control. So you look at it and you say, well, it's not going to be a war games match. I, when they announced that, what did I say to you on, on the show? I said, 
Chris, it's great that they're doing war games. I hope they still have at least one traditional Survivor Series match. This could be that. There's four members of Judgment Day. You have Edge, Rey Mysterio, Beth Phoenix. You could just find one other person to add. AJ Styles would be the perfect mm-hmm. person, yep. right? He's yep. feuding with yep. um, Balor. You could do a four-on-four. Four. It's usually five-on-five. Five, but you could do a four-on-four four traditional Survivor Series match with all of these people. Only the women can fight each other and eliminate each other. Um how that would work if one gets eliminated, what happens to the other, I'm not sure. Uh, maybe they do intergender wrestling. I'm not exactly sure what the situation would be. I would love to see a traditional Survivor Series match. That's enough time. You know, it's about, I, I don't have it in front of me, but a month and a half to two months where it's enough time where Beth can be out for a while and recover from in- her injury and do it. But they also could stretch this out. Maybe they eventually do Beth versus Rhea. That's what I want. I do not want... No matter what, if they do a Survivor Series match, that's fine. I do not want Beth and Edge against Rhea and Balor or Rhea and Don or whatever the case might be. I don't want that. I want Beth Phoenix versus Rhea Ripley, the dream match. You saw how the crowd reacted to it. I mean, Phoenix called it out. This is your dream match. This is what you want. Guess what? It's one of my dream matches too. I want to see it. So I hope that is the direction they go. And lastly, before we move on, I just want to double up on what you said. Michael Cole deserves his flowers here. He was incredible, first of all, on the entire show. But in this moment, from the second that Dominic Mysterio hits Ray until the very end of the match, this was peak Michael Cole, as good as he has ever been. He deserves a ton of credit for being at the top of his game this long into his career. Yes, and we we said a lot you know, during the Pat McAfee time that it just seemed like he was having a lot more fun. It once again, seems like he's having a lot more fun because he has just, he he feels relaxed. He feels like he has freedom. He feels like he can go out there and just have fun and not worry about someone yelling because he said a certain thing he shouldn't have said. So it it just, it really shines through commentary across the board, really, since Triple H took over, but especially with Michael Cole. Yeah, Cole was just super, super impressive here. All right, we got... A few more matches left. Let's go through them. The Raw Women's Championship was on the line. Bianca Belair defending against Bailey in a ladder match. The first ever one-on-one women's ladder match in WWE history. Michael Cole, speaking of, name-dropped Sasha Banks twice before this match began. Once during each of the women's entrances. It's more like Ask Paul these days, but I am very curious uh, to find out why that happened and if it was purposeful, I happen to think it was. Anyway, we'll get to the match. Bailey ate a body slam into a ladder, followed by Belair's handspring moonsault on top of her. The crowd was hyped for this. Bailey hit a great running sunset flip powerbomb of Belair into a perched ladder in the corner. Bailey set up a table on the steps and barricade, running off the apron for a flying elbow drop as her own side slammed into the ladder. I said table, I meant a ladder. Bailey ripped the supports off another ladder, but Belair moved before she could slam it on her. Belair then lifted and drove one side of a broken ladder into Bailey's back. Back inside the ring, Belair sold an injured left arm, but pulled Bailey off a ladder for a spinebuster style slam. Then Bailey kicked the ladder over, knocking Belair outside the ring. Bailey ripped off a metal hinge from her knee brace, but missed a running knee as Belair countered into a KOD. Bianca then went to climb the ladder. Damage control runs down, intercepts her, knocking the ladder over. Belair flies into the ropes. 
Belair then overcame them, and they figured out a pretty unique way to get them both near and on top of the top turnbuckle in the corner. Belair pulled both women off the ropes for an insane double KOD. It was a little bit sloppy, but ultimately it did get executed. Bailey came back with a half ladder shot to the back. She ran Belair into a ladder propped in the corner and then hit Rose Plant. Then she dragged the ladder on top of Belair's body. And as Bailey started climbing, Belair deadlifted it from off the canvas, knocking Bailey backwards into the ropes. They climbed the ladder simultaneously, but Bailey used Belair's braid to drag her into the top of the ladder, like literally pull her into it, hitting her head on the top of the ladder. That led to Belair uh, falling off, obviously. She goes back to the other side, climbs enough so she can slap Bailey on the back with her own braid. She can whip her a couple times. Bailey falls off. Bailey then goes into the corner, tries to do another knee into Belair, grabs a half ladder when she tries to do it. But Belair lifts her up clean with the ladder in her hands, like the half of a ladder, and hits a KOD with Bailey flipping over into the ladder she was carrying before Belair climbed to the top and grabbed the title to retain the Raw Women's Championship. Bailey busted her face hard way in the finish, and that came after about 17 minutes. This did start rough in parts, but it really came together. I thought as soon as they did the sunset flip powerbomb, that onwards for the final two-thirds of the match was just absolutely nails. The finish was exceptional with the deadlift, the braid spots, the absolutely brutal KOD into the ladder. Damage control interfering was expected. But that said, Belair overcoming all three members on her own was totally unexpected. She came out of this looking stronger than ever before, very John Cena-esque in that she's just able to overcome any obstacle. The pacing was great. The spots were fantastic. So I'm going to go with four stars and an A- minus, just because it wasn't as fluid as a great ladder match should be. And if you're going to be great, you have to have all of those elements involved. But I do have to question the booking despite liking the match. Having Belair emerge as a monster, it's certainly a positive. But not having Bailey win here seemed like a massive miss, especially given it included Belair taking out the top women's group one on three, like completely on her own. If she can overcome them by herself, who exactly can beat her? And why should we believe damage control is a threat to anyone else? It seemed like the opposite booking should have occurred in the two women's title matches. That doesn't really change the fact that the wrestling and the entertainment value in this was immense. And I'll tell you what, if Rhea Ripley eventually takes the title off Belair, this is going to make more sense. In the moment, I thought Bailey should have won. We discussed all the reasons why on the Ultimate Preview. So I disagreed with the booking, but nevertheless, I was very entertained by the match. Well, you you hit just about everything. <laughs> you I'm sorry. On that all, on that all, there's not there's not a ton to add to that. But the match was good. It was a lot of fun. I you know, the, the final spot, the KOD with the ladder was insane. And I was like, I hope Bailey's not hurt when when it the way it happened. I mean, I hope she's okay, but got cut open. I am stunned. Bianca won this match. Yeah, like you just laid it out. She just beat Damage Control on her own. What was the like? That's it. Like, what do you? There's nothing to do now. Like, like how are we? So I know Damage Control has the tag team titles, but how are we supposed to take them seriously? There's zero reason Bailey should get any other shot uh, whatsoever for this title. Bianca is already Superwoman. You know, just like the face version of Charlotte, where she just overcomes everything and wins, and then she just did it again. So, like, 
I don't know where anybody goes from here. I don't want to do this again because Bailey shouldn't be involved. And if the plan was always for Rhea to take the title off her, then you shouldn't have put Bailey in this match. You know, like like it's it's very strange to play it out like this. I I'm baffled by the decision to have Bianca win. I don't think it helps anybody really. But the match itself was great. The woman, the women, you know, kick butt did a great job and and, and all that for sure. I'm just very, very surprised at that decision. Yeah, this is one of those things where like, you know, in WWE back in the day, I'll say back in the day, four months ago, uh, we didn't give them the benefit of the doubt because Vince had the book and you just always assumed, well, that was a really bad decision that he just made because that's what he wanted to do. Triple H in a very short period of time has earned our trust to kind of let it play out, even though people hate that phrase. I'm willing to let it play out. It's Bianca Belair. She's still the champion. She, this is maybe the best she ever looked in terms of a dominance perspective. I mean, obviously the WrestleMania matches were better and she's had much better matches than this previously, but it's kind of tough to ignore the fact that she's never been stronger than she is right now. And for them to be able to elevate her in that way is impressive. The question just is, okay, now what? And we don't have that answer. If we get it and it's good, then it'll be okay. And if it's not, then we're going to look back on this three months from now and say, hey, you know what? Bailey should have won the title at Extreme Rules. I just, kinda, I just don't know what the, I just don't know what the point of doing all this was. <laughs> you know, to to to, to build the whole up thing, this match, saying, yeah, to, yeah, to, to to have to create damage control to put them together to to knock out Oscar and Alexa Bliss so they're not in this, and then Bianca wins anyway. It was just, okay, <laughs> it was just strange. Yeah, and the, you're right because uh, they eliminated her two partners for lack of a better term, and she didn't need them. Yep. So, you know, the whole time she, I guess she needed him for the six woman match, but she didn't need him otherwise, which is just weird. It's, it's an odd booking yeah. decision. But again, we will find out hopefully soon what the plan is going forward for the women's division. And perhaps it will make sense. Uh, Drew McIntyre fought Karrion Cross in a strap match. We do have something from SmackDown to talk about here. So on SmackDown Cross, he made his complete entrance. But just as it was ending, McIntyre appeared behind him completely out of nowhere, shirtless in jeans. He attacked him. He locked in the strap and beat on Cross before four security guards tried to hold him off by each grabbing one of his extremities. McIntyre destroyed them all. Cross smartly rolled out of the ring. He grabbed the strap and he used it to slam McIntyre into the ring post three times, basically knocking him out. Then he pulled McIntyre up off the ground using the strap as a lever and drilled him in the back with the strap like 10 different times. McIntyre's back was badly bruised. And then the exit music hit. I thought it was an awesome go-home segment for the match. It was probably the best thing that we've seen in the feud since Cross's initial attack of McIntyre weeks before Clash at the Castle. So I was actually more excited going into this match than I had been at any time over the last month. Yeah, and it it, it was Drew being the one to get the sneak attack on Cross after it happening for so long. So it kind of made sense to get the come up on him. And... Yeah, it was good. And and carrying across um getting the beat down uh furthered my belief at the time that Drew would end up winning this match. Same Just because right. of kind of how that plays out. And you know, I had picked Drew, I said I, I said I think Cross should win, but I think Drew's gonna win. And then Drew getting the upper I'm sorry, Cross getting the upper hand on SmackDown made me think, well, I guess this is definitely happening then. Right, because our take was there's been no time where McIntyre's come on top of Cross. Hey, now, nope. come out on top of Cross uh, oh. from on SmackDown. Uh, there was no time where, where he ended the show with the upper hand. It's always been Cross every single time. 
which means, well, McIntyre is going to get us come up and set the pay-per-view. That's how it works. And I think we both kind of had that same opinion going into the show. So at Extreme Rules, Cross refused to strap himself in twice before the bell, eventually throwing the strap outside the ring. Scarlett ended up holding the other end, which kept McIntyre stuck in the corner as Cross attacked him before the bell. They brawled outside until McIntyre did a side slam off the steps onto the ring apron and strapped Cross up to finally begin the match with the bell ringing. Minutes later, Scarlett distracted Drew, allowing Cross to ram McIntyre's shoulder into the ring post. Right away, the referee called for medical like to come down, assuming a dislocated or separated shoulder, but McIntyre refused medical attention and the match continued. Cross hit a flatliner into the announce table, beat the shit out of McIntyre with the strap as Scarlett kept screaming for more. He hit the Doomsday Saito back inside for a near fall. McIntyre got a second win and hit all of his signature moves. They traded a dozen strap shots to each other's necks and like collarbone areas. McIntyre then hit the Future Shock DDT. He kipped up, but when he went for the Claymore, Scarlett jumped in the ring and got in his way. He finally moved her away to just go after Cross, and she grabs him and pepper sprays him in the face. He's obviously blinded. Cross turns him around, hits the cross hammer forearm, gets the win in 11 minutes. McIntyre sold the pepper spray like absolute hell after the bell. And Cross sold it as well, because when you spray pepper spray, it doesn't just affect the person whose eyes it goes into it. It lingers in the air, so it affects other people. And Cross also sold it. Now, at first, Chris, I thought the pre-match stuff was really silly, given it's a no disqualification either way. But what the pre-match accomplished, it created a reason for it to actually be a strap match that did not exist before. Cross not wanting to be close to Drew, not wanting to get strapped up. So it finally gave us a reason for the stipulation. Unfortunately, it happened just a couple minutes before the bell rang. I did think it was a pretty solid Hoss match. I do wish there was more wrestling and some more um, smart spots, I guess I'd call it, utilizing the strap to do like wrestling moves. You go back and you look at some of the bull rope matches recently and AEW stuff that Cody Rhodes has done, stuff that even Dustin Rhodes has done. And they really use the strap in smart ways. I think they've used it in code reds and just really cool wrestling moves. And this was really none of that. It was just pulling each other and then hitting each other with the strap. So I did find that a little disappointing. But given the circumstances, it kind of over-delivered. Like Cross won, as we both said he needed to, yet McIntyre was protected in the finish. It also kind of established Scarlet as like someone people need to worry about. As I've said before, though, like the cross hammer, the finish, it is the pits. It is awful. He needs a better finisher. And the shoulder gimmick early in the match that they pulled, it never actually paid off, which I thought right. was strange because it would have been a fine excuse for the loss if the guy separated his shoulder and Cross worked on it the entire time. So I thought it was good. In some ways, it actually exceeded my expectations. But was it great by any means? I don't think it was great. So I went 3.25 stars and a B for this. I thought it was fine. I think just ultimately, if that was going to be your finish, just Scarlet comes in and pepper sprays him. We didn't need a strap match. And and, and, and like you said, they didn't really explain why it had to be this kind of match until it kind of right before it started. But like you said, the shoulder didn't come into play. The strap didn't come into play. She just came up and pepper sprayed him. Like you could have done that at any point in the match. Uh, really, like this could have been just a no DQ could have been anything and you just do that or you just could be a regular match and you just distract the referee and she does it. So it was very much the finish was a letdown in that sense in terms of what the stipulation was going to be. I loved their entrance. I know they've done this before, but like I just I love 
their entrances all the mm-hmm. time. The camera work, the camera angles are really good. Really, really like it. I've also come, I've, I've really come around on Drew McIntyre's theme. Just, I, I, I really like, I, I dig it now. Cross needs to cut his hair. Uh, he grew <laughs> it out. It looks great on the entrance when he's got it slicked back, but it very quickly is no longer slicked as his matches go on, and it just kind of sticks out and looks poofy, and he doesn't look like frightening anymore. I think the bald look just worked better for him. Just an observation uh, on that. Um, glad Cross got the win. He needed to get the win. I kind of wish it had been a little bit more creative as a, as opposed to just, you know, his wife comes in and pepper sprays the opponent and then he wins. Right. It's just kind of a letdown in that sense. But um, overall good, you know, definitely, definitely needed to happen. It could set up another match here or there. Um, so, yeah, the, the, this this could have easily been terrible. And it wasn't. It was, yeah. it was very solid. <laughs> that's the best way to put it. It could have been terrible and it wasn't. Yeah. I think that's a great way to frame it. Well, let's go to the SmackDown Women's Championship. Liv Morgan defending against Ronda Rousey in an Extreme Rules match. On SmackDown, there was a tremendous and somewhat lengthy video package for this match. And that is one of the main reasons I thought this was going to be the main event of the show, whether it was in the last spot or not. So imagine my surprise, Chris, when this was second overall on the show. As it turns out, that was the right spot for it. And we'll tell you why right now. Although we, you and I haven't spoke, so maybe you disagree with me, but we will find out momentarily. Uh, so Rousey wore a pinky for her idol, you know, LaBelle. And she also wore They Live inspired gear for Roddy Piper's famous film. That was really, she, she looked, by the way, way more comfortable in this gear than she has in her yes. other gear that she always pulls down and stuff. So I did think that was notable. Uh, Rousey trapped Morgan in the apron and smacked her across the face. Liv sprayed Ronda with a fire extinguisher. Ronda caught her flying with a bat shot. Morgan hit some really, really weak bat shots, but Ronda threw her gi in Liv's face and then beat her with her black belt and then the bat until Liv grabbed the bat and ran Rousey into the apron. I I tweeted this. This has to be the first time a black belt was literally used in WWE (laughs) since like Steve Blackman back in the Attitude Era. How else would would they have ever used it? I thought that was funny. Uh, There was also a double botch on a spot where there was supposed to be a chair set up in the corner and then Rousey was going to get flung into it. Well, the chair fell out of the corner and they botched Rousey's first flinging. So they had to do it a second time. And she kind of just flew between the top and middle rope and kind of hit the ring post, but didn't really. Liv came back with some more weak chair shots. Rousey caught a chair for a code breaker like Van Daminator style. That was probably one of the two best spots of the entire match. Liv then put Ronda on a table and hit a flying senton through it for a 2.9 false finish. That's the other spot of the match. Uh, Rousey immediately put Liv into an armbar two different times. Morgan like lit, twisted her body, lifted her, power bombed her into a piece of the table that was already broken in between those two armbars. Ronda then moved Morgan into like a biceps crusher or some type of choke move. And as she was doing it, she took the broken piece of table and jammed it into the other side of Liv's head. Liv then smiled, like manically kind of. Uh, her One of her eyelashes was off, her makeup was smeared, as she passed out while smiling with Rousey winning via knockout. The crowd immediately vociferously booed. You can say they booed the finish, they booed the result, the match. Uh, Rousey steps onto Morgan's stomach and kind of egged the crowd on to get the heel reaction. She then shit-talked Liv and shit-talked the crowd as she walked out. 
So this was an exceedingly rough and disjointed match. Nearly all of the weapon shots were like half strength and kind of half-assed. There were multiple botches. Somehow, despite them having at least what I thought was a decent match together last time, this was just messy with a finish that it may have been okay in concept, like using the table to squash Liv's head. That's a pretty cool idea. I just thought it was flawed in execution, given they couldn't seemingly get into the appropriate move that they were trying to get into to end the entire thing. There was nowhere near enough wrestling in the match. I would have liked to have seen them actually wrestle in between all the extreme rule stuff. They fully relied on the weapons and they didn't do the weapon shots well. Liv did enough to get over in some spots on her own, but Ronda never achieved a strong crowd reaction for anything until the finish. And when we got to the finish, it was negative. So I actually, I may be lower than most people here. I went 2.25 stars and a C for the match. Now, in terms of the booking, Chris, Rousey as champion again is completely uninspired. However, there are two silver linings here. The first is that Rousey did a heel turn. So she's champion, sure, but we hate it. So she's a heel, so we hate her. That works together. And two, Morgan smiling while being knocked out was completely sadistic. I talked on our ultimate preview about wanting her to potentially become a wrestler that had extreme tendencies like Lita did. And it looks like they may actually be bringing her in a direction like that. Maybe it's a little bit more of a Harley Quinn direction than a Lita direction. But nevertheless, Liv did look legitimately strong in defeat. And she does look to be in the midst of a character change coming out of this. So those are silver linings coming out of the entire thing. But again, I thought it was a rough match. It got plenty of time, but it just didn't deliver as I expected. You commenting about Harley Quinn actually reminds me, I forgot to say this, when Edge did his entrance for uh, his match, right when he does the, the big pyro thing, someone had a pickle sign right next to him that says, it said, Edge is more played out than Harley Quinn cosplayers. <laughs> like that was really? Like, That's funny. Yeah, yeah. So just right there, right on the screen, and it was there for like five seconds. So yeah, but... I'm um, not sure I agree with that, but yeah. The, I the don't either, but it, yeah. just, it, was, it was startling when I saw it. Um, as for this, I picked Ronda to win, and watching the hype video reminded me even more why. Because Liv is saying, I'm the only person... Who's ever beaten you twice? And I, I that means like over MMA too. And I'm like, oh, wow, that is a big deal. There's no way they're going to let her do three. You know, <laughs> just like, so, yeah. and you, I, like their, 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 their first real match, the rematch after Liv won the title, it was clunky, but they told the story. And the story was Liv is quick enough to get out of these holds and it worked. But that's all you can do. That's all you can do with them. I mean, mm-hmm. you, like you're saying, you wanted to see more wrestling. There shouldn't be more wrestling. Ron, if Ronda Rousey can and wrestle. Liv Morgan got in a fight, Ronda's going to destroy Liv Morgan. And that was yeah. the issue. That's been the issue with this from the beginning is that it's not believable that Liv Morgan can beat Ronda Rousey, which is why I was so surprised they kept going right back to that well and not letting Liv pick up some wins as champion along the way. That's been my biggest disappointment. But if you were going to do Ronda Liv for the second slash third time, it was going to be Ronda. It, it, it had to be Ronda for that reason. And yes, her healing it up at the end, definitely a positive. That's what it needs to be. Um, people are going to want to boo her. Let that happen. 
and Liv's smiling. You know, you protect her a little bit. Maybe she becomes some sadistic character. I'm not sure. But that that worked. Um, ultimately, where with, with, with what they gave us, this had to be the result. I think there's different things you could have done along the way. But here we go. Ronda's a heel champion. Will she be able to stick in this role all the way until WrestleMania? That's six plus months away. Uh, we'll see. But I wasn't surprised with how this played out. Do you did you think, though, it was executed well, I guess, is the, is the key question. It was ugly. It was not a good it was not a okay. good match. But I do you agree ex- with that. Okay. It, I didn't expect it to be a good match either. So I, I guess like I'm not I wouldn't grade it high, but I also had really low expectations for it for that reason. These two just don't have chemistry in the ring because they're so different. And it's just it wasn't going to work. It seems, you know, I don't know that this has ever been said, at least on our show. Maybe others have mentioned it, but it seems like Rousey's not as good in the ring in the second run than she was in her first run. I don't know if that's because she was working house shows. She did the overseas tours and she was working perhaps in some cases with some better wrestlers as well. She did a lot of work, obviously, with Sasha Banks, especially uh, during that run. But it's just she hasn't been as fluid in the ring and all of those positives that we saw with her. I'm not really seeing anymore. Like you can, you could argue that maybe the character work is getting a little bit better, like marginally, but the wrestling's worse. It's worse in my opinion, this run than the first run. She's had a couple good matches with Natalia because they were okay. Trains with Natalia. Yeah. (laughs) They were okay though. They weren't even, they weren't that special. Right. But but like her and Liv were never going to have a good match together. And yeah. So as a whole, Ronda's not putting on as good of matches. I think that's partly because she's not doing it all the time, like you said, partly because she's who she's matched up against. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, you know, it's not as much of a surprise. Like we, you and I were both at WrestleMania 34. And when Ronda did some of those moves, it was like, holy shit. She got so over in that match, the Triple H Stephanie Kurt Angle deal, because we had no idea what to expect from her. And she exceeded our expectations. Our expectations are a lot higher now. And yeah. And and she's not really meeting that at the moment. Not just for her, for women's wrestling in general, because the bar has been raised by all the great women's wrestlers. So, yeah, it's a very good point. All right, let's move to the opening match, which was the Brawling Brutes against Imperium and a good old-fashioned Donnybrook match. Unfortunately, before we get to that, we have to discuss the main event on SmackDown, which basically means we're doing double duty here and breaking down uh, what happened on SmackDown and then what happened in this match. So on SmackDown... We have the Intercontinental Championship, Gunther versus Sheamus 2. They immediately went outside with Gunther bleeding from the mouth hard way. Sheamus's chest got bloodied from chops after just three minutes. Sheamus escaped the sleeper hold on the canvas by standing up with Gunther on his back. They traded chops and forearms. Sheamus's chest was straight up bleeding. It looked like raw meat after 10 minutes. He battered Gunther in the corner and hit 10 beats on the top rope, then 10 on the middle rope and bottom rope for 30 total. Thought it was an outstanding spot. Sheamus climbed the ropes with Gunther on his back for an avalanche white noise and a near fall. Gunther avoided a cloverleaf and hit a shotgun dropkick plus a powerbomb for a 2.9 false finish. Gunther then snapped Sheamus's neck with his feet and hit a huge flying splash into Sheamus's back for another false finish. Gunther has won multiple matches that way. Uh, Gunther blocked a bro kick. Sheamus immediately came back with the Irish curse and a cloverleaf. Gunther, while in the cloverleaf, tapped the canvas twice but the referee waved it off because he didn't do it three times. Gunther then grabbed the ropes. Sheamus released. This was purposeful. Uh, Gunther did a Brazilian tap. Imperium came down to rally Gunther only for the brawling brutes to attack them from behind. They all brawled at ringside. 
Sheamus lifted Gunther, ate a chop, and came back with a lifted knee. Ludwig Kaiser threw Gunther a shillelagh as Sheamus set up for the bro kick. The referee looked away because Giovanni Vinci was getting his ass beaten like on the ring apron right by her feet. Gunther countered the bro kick with a clothesline using the shillelagh to get the win and title retention in 17 minutes. So here's the deal as briefly as I can say it. I was mixed on this finish initially. And then I watched it a second time because a couple people tweeted me. They're like, you're wrong. You need to watch it again. And here's some more context. I was also shown an MMA video. These things helped me understand the finish much more than I did originally. My first reaction was that it was completely overbooked and convoluted. But the Brazilian tap, which is basically cheating by fake submitting, it's happened numerous times in MMA. And if you were someone who recognized that right away, which I was not, then you probably loved how smart it was for this to be the booking, given it's like an unwritten rule that someone needs to tap three times for a submission. Basically, the ring general, for whom the mat is sacred, had no choice but to cheat twice as last gasps to retain the Intercontinental title. It should have been better explained in the moment by Michael Cole. That was a really big miss. And maybe Gunther should have tapped Sheamus's leg out of the referee's view. But now that I've laid it out for you, perhaps you feel the same way that I do. I would not have followed it up with the weapon shot. That on its own should have been enough. But the idea was to keep everyone strong before Extreme Rules and to keep Sheamus alive as a legitimate contender for the future. It definitely accomplished that because Sheamus is now an ultra mega baby face who clearly took Gunther all the way to the limit. So this match on SmackDown was approaching A-plus territory again. If it had a clean finish, it would have gotten there. Some of the spots in the match were actually better than their first battle. It was great. They kept it fresh. Unfortunately, the finish downgrades it to a 4.5 star A, but 95% of it was outstanding. And it was still, Chris, one of the best TV matches of the entire year. It was a great match without a doubt. Let's just, you you know you're going to get that with these two. But some of that other stuff, the Brazilian tap, like, no, that's, <laughs> that's bullshit. I mean, like, <laughs> nobody, know, nobody knows what that is. I didn't he freaking, know it, yeah. Like, he freaking tapped. Even if they had explained it, I would have been like, well, what the hell? Like, why does that exist? Like, that shouldn't, like, you, if you want Gunther to cheat and do some other things, the weapon and all, all that, that I'm fine with. Like, that's clear as day. Do, doing... Well, in MMA, they do this. Well, it's not an MMA match. It's a pro wrestling match. We're, we're living in a pro wrestling universe. So I just, I thought that was just kind of, I kind of was just like annoyed by that. Didn't take away from it much or anything like that, but just kind of hearing that explanation, I'm like, that's, that, that ain't going to cut it for me. But it was a great match as we expected. We both expected Gunther to win as well. I do like that they built up. Sheamus has never won the IC title. It's the only thing he hasn't won before. You know, that's something you can definitely come back to. Um, but this, it was a great match, uh, given that finish, you know, I, we had said this should be on the pay-per-view and not the Donnybrook match. They should have given that is what we said finish, yeah. but given that finish, maybe I would have felt differently. I don't know, but I, I still think it would have helped extreme rules to have the IC title on the, on the, on the card, but either way, a great match. And it also set us up well for the six man. Yeah, we talked about it. One of the negatives of the Extreme Rules card is none of the men's titles were defended. And it's like, it's one thing if the bloodline's not going to be on the show, but to not have Gunther in a championship match or Bobby Lashley in a United States championship match, it just seemed like something was missing. So if they had flopped it and done a little bit different booking, maybe we could have gotten there. Nevertheless, that match was on SmackDown and on Extreme Rules. We had the Donnie Brook match that opened the show. Imperium trashed the set. 
They singled out Sheamus outside for a backdrop into the bar. Ridge Holland double-tossed Kaiser and Vinci. They got right back at him with an Imperial Bomb off the ring apron. As Butch was getting beaten three-on-one, Sheamus got a second wind. He ended up dominating all three guys and one-on-one with Gunther. Sheamus did his 10 beats, which became 20. The other Brutes got their licks in on Gunther as well. Plus, he hit white noise and a bro kick. Vinci broke the fall with a springboard splash perfectly timed. Butch caught Kaiser flying with a Superman punch. Gunther shotgun dropkicked both Brutes out of the ring. Sheamus countered a chop into the Irish curse. And then he put Gunther back in the cloverleaf as a callback to the SmackDown match. Gunther nearly tapped again until Kaiser broke it by snapping a shillelagh over Sheamus's back. There was a really cool spot where the seconds brawled as the leaders stood up between them and started exchanging blows. Then the trios separated to different sides of the ring. Kaiser hit Butch with some crazy inside-out toss. Vinci saved the fall after Sheamus hit a pump knee. Butch moonsaulted Imperium off the whiskey barrels. Gunther drilled Sheamus with two shillelagh shots for a 2.9 false finish. The Brutes stomped the uh, powerbomb with Butch snapping Gunther's fingers as Sheamus hit him over the head with a shillelagh. The Brutes then beat the shit out of Imperium with shillelaghs as Sheamus took Gunther out with a Celtic cross through the announce table. That's a razor's edge. Uh, Gunther on his back and shoulders through the announce table. Back inside the ring, Vinci was held by both arms for a bro kick and the babyface victory in 18 minutes. Chris, this freaking ruled. What an incredible opener and a tremendous moment, not just for Sheamus, but for Butch and Holland also. The splash to break up the fall after the bro kick and the razor's edge were the highlights of this match. But every single person came out of this match looking good. Having Vinci take the fall as like the newest kind of Imperium member, at least on the main roster, that made the most sense, especially given Gunther was fully taken down outside the ring. This was a banger in every sense of the word. We got work rate stuff. We got big meaty men slapping me. That's what we want to see. We got it all here. I am not sure that it could have been any better. I went 4.25 stars and an A. That's just because I had to compare it to some of the other matches on the card. But holy shit, was this awesome. Yeah, this was exactly what we expected and wanted. And, and it was great. Just just guys who just... It, the match never stopped. Like my, my, my brother texted me during the match. It was like, these guys are just going full speed the entire time. And it was like, it never slowed down. It was just nonstop action. They had the stamina and, and timing to be able to do that, which was great. Um, really enjoyed that. I really liked Ridge and, uh, in Butch holding Gunther down for Seamus to do something. It just, mm-hmm. for some reason in my head, it made me think of, uh, Avengers infinity war when they're like holding down Thanos holding, to yeah, try to, Thanos. yeah. When they're holding Thanos down to do stuff. I was like, that, that worked. Like it makes Gunther look great. I thought, I thought, oh, they're going to hold him into a broke kick and that'll be that'll be it. But I was like, well, you're going to pin Gunther that way. No, they're going to put him through the table. <laughs> so that was a great spot. Great finish. Um, the Ridge Holland flipping two guys at the same time. Like if you just that's like for a long time, we were just like, what is Rich Holland? What What is his appeal? What is he going to do? Oh, he's like super crazy strong. So like, let <laughs> him do some super crazy strong things and it'll look great. And that's what they've done the past few weeks. And he's getting cheers now. So, like, it, it, it is great booking, great match, a lot of fun. Ultimately, I get why you make this, you put this on a pay-per-view and make it the opening match of the card. Um, but still think you could have flipped him. But this was great. 
and and I I loved. There was also the moment where they're they're both kind of picking each other up on the opposite sides of the ring. It made you think of Shield versus Wyatt's kind of did. going it's at each did. other, and you're like, these guys could do this fifty times and turn this into like an incredible six man robbery, like and 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 we'll dig it. So I don't know what the future is. Obviously, you don't want them to do that forever, but these guys have a chemistry with each other that everybody recognizes and um and 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 they absolutely more than delivered uh brett charles malam at brett underscore malam he wrote in he said sheamus is entering the randy orton phase of his career where he's just naturally over while simultaneously putting on bangers and i thought he was absolutely right we did by the way get a lot of tweets and dms and comments especially about the bray wyatt stuff the show would have gone on way too long if we read them all so we're saving them we will discuss them on tuesday's show do not think we didn't see them. I promise that we did. Anyway, it's great to see Sheamus over like this. I really, at this point now, don't have any doubt that he's going to be the one to take the title off Gunther. I don't think they can drag it out to WrestleMania. But if they could, holy shit, would that be awesome? I just, I don't want it to happen at Crown Jewel. Yeah, he is kind of at that point where he can't really be a character anymore he's just he's shameless like 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 randy orton he's randy Orton's not going to be the legend killer again or something like that right. he's just going to be the idea of randy orton and that's i think what sheamus is going to be now just the idea of sheamus oh sheamus is the guy who takes a beating gives a beating and we love him for it and that's all he needs to be and 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 so uh i think that's a good i think that's a good comparison right now yeah i do think so as well and lastly here from extreme rules uh, we had The Miz, who was backstage promoting his birthday party from Raw. He said he was there to talk to Triple H and make sure there would be no problems on Monday. Suddenly, he saw Gritty, which is the mascot of the Philadelphia Flyers, the hockey team. Uh, he saw him out the corner of his eye. Uh, Gritty held up a special edition shirt that Miz stomped on. Gritty later interrupted The Miz while he was on the phone with Maurice. And then later, when Miz approached Triple H's office, Gritty appeared a third time. Miz beat him up, only for Dexter Loomis to appear behind him and choke him out with silence. Then he lifted Gritty up to like help him up uh, to a pop. Gritty kicked Miz, and they both walked off with Miz sprawled out, knocked out on the floor. This was really all it needed to be. It was hardly different from what we've seen previously, but incorporating Gritty into the show through this angle, it was a really smart way to pop the hometown crowd. It probably did good social media numbers as well because Gritty is immensely popular. Their only mistake was not finishing it like on the ramp or in the ring in front of the crowd which wants to cheer Gritty. So why would you not let the crowd enjoy that? That was the only mistake. Other than that, it was totally fine. Yeah, it was funny. It was fine. Miz is always good in those spots. And uh, it worked. All right. So that is our WWE Extreme Rules instant analysis, which means the only part of the show that we have left is our grades. The way we do this is we remind you of our post-show grades. We share what you, our listeners and followers on Twitter, the getting overheads, what you uh, chimed in with as your pre-show and post-show grades. And then Chris and I wrap it up with our own grades. And I have a strange and apprehensive feeling that we're going to be exactly aligned on the grade for this show as we were for the pre-show grade. And I have a feeling the audience is going to be with us as well, but we will find out. First, the pre-show grades. Chris and I both gave it a B plus. We thought it was a strong card. Uh, at the same time, there was a lot of people who weren't on it. And, you know, what else? What else did we talk about for why it was a B plus? I'm trying to remember. It's late, man. I'm because exhausted. there were only there were no men's titles on the line. No men's titles. And no bloodline. 
and the Intercontinental title match happening on Friday. Right. The season premieres being hyped up around it. There wasn't a clear main event. It was just kind of like, even though the matches had all stipulations, which we were excited about, and the build was good for the show, it just didn't feel like it was going to be an A show, I guess is the best way to put it. Right. Yeah. So the listeners, you guys voted before the show after our live pre-show on Twitter spaces. And here is where your votes landed. 50% A, 43.4% B, 6.6% C. We actually got zero dear F votes in either the pre or post-show poll for the first time ever for any pay-per-view, whether it was <laughs> WWE, AEW, NXT, the first time no one said DRF in either of the polls, despite hundreds of people voting. So Chris, long story short. The listeners agreed with us. They basically gave it the highest possible B plus that you could. And that's pretty much where you and I sat. So we were all aligned with an expectation grade of B plus. So before we get to your grade, I always let you go first with the post-show grade, Chris. This is what the listeners had to say. 56% came in with an A, 37% with a B, 7% with a C. And as I said, 0% D or F. And when you do the math there, that works out to an A minus. So Chris, go ahead. What is your final grade for WWE Extreme Rules? I think I'm sticking with B plus. Oh, you know, okay. I, I, I'm a very good, a very high B plus. Um, we only got one title change, you know, in terms of thinking of stuff that what was monumental in this? What was what's the what are the big things coming out of it? Only one title change, but we did get Bray Wyatt. Um, Nothing really resolved out of the the Donny Brook. I didn't love the Bianca booking. Um, the, the fight pit was good; it was fine, um, but nothing like gigantic there. It, it just it, it was only six matches, and like mm. I said, the, the the lack of tolerance. I, I say a really high B plus. Maybe I'm being a little bit hard, and I I, I just I don't want to. You know, I, I think a lot of people are coming off of the high, of, the immediate high of. Bray Wyatt's back. It's great. And I think so these too. Gra- that is part these, of the well, show. Yeah. But these grades are often heavily WB shows are often ultimately viewed by how they end. Like they, that's just mm. kind of how it's always been. And I think it's, it's the same a good show with a crap ending. It ends up weighing it down a lot more than maybe it should. That's true. Um, but, but I, I think I'll stick with, with high B plus. I think every show gets weighed down or boosted up based on how it finishes. Just being candid. But I do yeah. think, I do think to your point, it happens a little bit more with WWE shows, especially in the history of this podcast, because a lot of times the ending is very divisive. And in this case, I don't think it's divisive. It's all extremely positive. So here's the thing when I give you my grade. So you're at B plus, you said listeners are at A minus. Here's my thing. I was very excited that we had an extreme rules show where all six matches had stipulations. So basically all six matches in one way or another were extreme. However, I was wrong to have that opinion. This show, I felt, lacked actual wrestling in many spots. You cannot do what WWE did last year, which was one stipulation match out of six, seven, eight, however however many were on the card. That doesn't work. But I also don't think you should do 100% either way. I think the best way to do it is two out of every three matches should have extreme rules or some type of stipulation like that. And the third match, if it does have a stipulation, 
it should still be wrestling adjacent, like a submission match or an Ironman match or, you know, something to that degree where, you know, you're still going to get wrestling, such as the Irish Donnybrook match, which, you know, it was basically a street fight, but it was a lot of wrestling in there. And we didn't really get that in a lot of other matches on the card. That said, our show grades are not a, or at least mine aren't, an amalgamation of, or I should say amalgamation is the wrong word, an average of my match grades for the quality of wrestling. It is about my overall entertainment in the show. And when I go through this card and we talk about Bray Wyatt's return, which is part of the show, whether it's a match or not, it's a big advertised moment for the show. That was an A+. The Finn Balor uh, edge stuff with Beth Phoenix and Rhea Ripley, match wasn't an A+. The moment in the storyline was, Fight Pit for me was an A. Donnybrook was an A-. So that really, out of the seven segments that were on the show, the only things I didn't love were Ronda Rousey and Liv Morgan and Drew McIntyre and Karrion Cross. And even that, I didn't hate it by any means. I just didn't really love it that much. So I'm definitely with the listeners here. Not even a question. I am at an A minus for this show. There was not enough to get it into an A range. You're just not going to get there for a WWE show, A or A plus, without champions on the show. Uh, I know Gunther technically was there, but your tag team champions weren't there. You have two titles. Neither of them defended, obviously, in that. Your world champions not there. Two titles. Neither of them defended. Neither of your mid-card titles were defended. You're just not going to get a grade higher than A-. minus. So I think they kind of like maxed out almost on what they could have done. I guess if the Ronda Rousey match was exceptional, then maybe this would have been a flat A just because where would you really point to a low moment on the card if I loved everything else? But I can't get there. I'm at A-. minus. I think it was an extremely solid B-level show. And I'm excited that we got the opportunity to kind of break it down here. It was a really busy night for you and I. And yet... Here we are doing a 90-minute instant analysis podcast, and I was extremely excited with what we got, pun not intended, from Extreme Rules. And I'll tell you one thing, before I go to bed, guess what I'm re-watching? I'm re-watching the end of the I Quit match, and I'm re-watching the end of the Fight Pit match, plus the post-match you know, match stuff with Bray Wyatt. You made a comment that actually I meant to bring up earlier. You said uh, every match having a stipulation, maybe you don't think it needs to be that. Something that did catch my eye in the intro that I did see was Cole says the only night, essentially the only night where every match, every is match. Extreme. Yeah. And that's, that was not the tagline for this. I don't, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know if that's going to be the plan moving forward now. Like survivor series used to be the only match where raw and SmackDown face each other. Like mm-hmm. sometimes they make that a thing. So I'm curious based on him saying that if, this is the plan moving forward to make every match an extreme rules well, match, which honestly I'm fine. I'm fine with, I'd much rather have that than the opposite of, of last year. It's way uh, better than I, last year. Way better than. The yes. Totally. Yeah. I, I, I think I'm, I'm actually fine with it in kayfabe of just saying like, well, it's extreme rules and we have to do an extreme rules match. What should we do? And then the, the heel and the baby face, like figure it out or something like that. Like, it, like acknowledging like, that's what I said. Where it, it was always annoying. When it's like, well, TLC's coming up. Oh, someone's got tables. I guess we're going to Someone's do a got chairs. Match. Someone's got ladders. And then for, someone's got TLC. For, yeah. <laughs> yeah. For Cole to say the only night where every match is extreme, if it is acknowledged that every, that this is every match has to be extreme. Like I'm okay with that. I actually think that works. 
I'm okay with it in theory. Again, in actuality and reality, I do think if you're going to do every match, isn't necessarily extreme, but a stipulation, find a couple stipulations that are more wrestling based. That's, that's going to be the key to kind of narrowing the gap between the two to kind of say, okay, every match is a stipulation, but we're still going to give you some real good wrestling on the card. Again, I'm not saying that there wasn't some good wrestling on the show. It's just based on the stipulations and certain matches, the way they were broken down, for example, the Extreme Rules match, Rousey and Morgan, just it was really a lack of wrestling overall on the card in terms of the type of wrestling that I like, the work rate style wrestling, which we're getting now on WWE television, which we have seen at SummerSlam and other events um, that, have, that have come down already. Clash at the Castle was very work rate heavy. So to go from that, again, no pun intended, that extreme to this extreme, to me, it was just a little bit too much. If you do it two thirds of the way there, I think every person would be satisfied. No one's going to complain that if you have a six match card, that four of them are stipulation matches and two of them are kind of regular. I don't think anyone's going to say there's not enough extreme rules on extreme rules. I think everyone would be, would be okay with that. Yeah. All right. Is is, is what it is. Very enthusiastic I, 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 agreement from you. Right de- there. Definitely, definitely <laughs> an improvement. Definitely an improvement. Look, it's late. It's been. A it long is time late. Before. You and I are absolutely shot. And I appreciate everyone who stayed up Saturday night to listen to this podcast. And of course, all of you listening to us Sunday, Monday before Raw, and perhaps after that as well. I appreciate every single person listening to us here on the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. And Chris, I appreciate you for joining me so late after our busiest day of the work week. Before we get out of here, let me remind you that the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast is so head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Please leave us a five-star rating on those platforms on Apple. Take a moment, leave a written review. Let everyone know how much you love the show, especially these Instant Analysis podcasts, and tell them why they should subscribe. Also, please do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Over. Cast. You can participate in the polls I mentioned. Join the live pre-show on Twitter spaces that I mentioned. You can also see us uh, report a little bit of news week to week, but also uh, you know discuss our opinions, our takes, our thoughts live during Raw, SmackDown, Dynamite, and NXT every single week. And we love interacting with you guys, getting your questions, comments, your DMs, your tweets, whatever the case might be. We love including them on this show. So what is coming up here on Getting Over? Well, I'm glad you asked, Silver King. Let me tell you. Uh, Thank you all, of course, for listening to this Getting Over Instant Analysis edition of WWE Extreme Rules. We will be back on Tuesday with all of the fallout from Extreme Rules. Plenty of stuff still to talk about from this past SmackDown involving the Bloodline, Sami Zayn, Logan Paul, etc. Plus everything that's going to go down on Raw Monday night. All of that will be on our weekly WWE show this coming Tuesday. And then, of course, a couple days after that, on Thursday, we'll break down the latest in the world of AEW and NXT. Thank you once again to Vintage Chris Manini for joining me tonight. This is the Silver King Adam Silverstein signing off and leaving you with just three final words. Bye for now.